0: To have the same message. Everything is getting out of control, or is out of control. Here are some headlines I found last week. CNBC on Wednesday, January the 12th. Here is a headline: Russia Russia is risking an all-out war to prevent the Ukraine from joining NATO. On Fox News on Friday, this is one of their headlines. Oil experts predict U.S. gas prices to rise over $4 per gallon by spring. And then CBS Channel 11, which is out of DFW, had this headline on Friday as well. School districts across North Texas close due to surge in COVID-19 cases and teacher shortages. A lot of those headlines and many others you can find as you watch the news read the newspaper or search online, it it appears to me that some of us face the future with fear and some of us face the future with doubt. However, in the midst of it all is the Word of God. Verse 8 that we just read a minute ago in Revelation chapter 1. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and is to come, the Almighty. In a world out of control, there is a voice saying, I am in control. And what's amazing about these words of encouragement, who wrote them down? John. And he had been exiled to the island of Patmos. And here's a picture of Patmos, over here to your right, and as you look up, you can see where the churches were located, the the letters to the seven churches, and the reason why he was on Patmos is because he had testified to the word of God, and he had given a witness to the testimony of Christ. John knew no matter what circumstances he might find himself in, God was in control, In the gospel he wrote, gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 27, he recorded these words of Christ. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. And again in chapter 16, verse 33. These things I have spoken to you, so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulations. But take courage, I have overcome the world. As we turn to our our text this morning in verse 4, we see it starts off with these words. To the seven churches which are in Asia, or in the province of Asia, Asia. This text is telling us that John is indeed the author and the recipients are the seven churches. The same seven churches that are addressed in chapters 2 and 3. Each church is located in a major city. <clears throat> they are addressed in geographical order. And this would enable a courier to deliver this letter very easily. Each letter addresses specific problems of each church. And each letter contains exhortation. He who has an ear, let him here verse 4 he goes on grace to you and peace now the holman christian standard bible niv render it this way grace and peace to you that's interesting that that's put together and here's why grace was the common hellenistic greeting the greek culture that's how people would greet you it shows divine favor upon the human race a state of spiritual well-being And, of course, peace was the common Hebrew greeting. In Hebrew, it's shalom. It means peace and prosperity, an intact state of favorable circumstances, or uh, safety and salvation, being free from danger, health, lack of disease, wholeness or well-being, satisfaction and contentment. Your basic needs are being met. That was all wrapped up in when someone would greet you and say, Peace or shalom. Now in the New Testament, these two words are baptized together, so to speak, and they have a great more deal of significance. It's a promise of spiritual blessings from God. And here it is. In Christ we can experience what was only a hope, lasting peace. We can have lasting peace. That lasting peace is only found in the wake of grace. That's the reason it says grace and peace. You have to have grace before you can have peace. And of course the source of both of those is God. This grace and peace is from what? Look at what he says next. From him who is and who was and who is to come or who is coming. It's a message of comfort because God is in control of the past and the future. But he's not limited to that. He's also controlled of the present. His eternal power that has been seen in the past is guaranteed in the future. All the miracles we have read about in the Old Testament and the New Testament, all those miracles and marvelous workings of God, we will see them in the future. So God is in control of the past, the present, and the future. This grace and peace also from the seven spirits who are before His throne. The sevenfold Holy Spirit emphasizing the Spirit's perfect work. And we see in Revelation chapter 4, verse 5, Out from the throne comes flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. It's interesting, in the book of Revelation, John never says the Holy Spirit. He, also talks, he always talks about the spirits of God. And then he turns to this in verse 5, this grace and peace. And from Jesus Christ. Look how he describes Christ. Look at the text. The faithful witness. The firstborn of the dead. You can find witnesses to a lot of different things. But there's only one witness who is ultimately and dependable, absolutely dependable. Jesus is that faithful witness. A common theme in the book. And Witness is linked to themes of persecution and perseverance. In fact, our English word martyr comes from that Greek word that we translate as witness. And our example is to stand against evil and idolatry no matter what the cost. The firstborn in Judaism was the one who controlled the inheritance. As the firstborn, Jesus is the exalted Messiah, Romans eight twenty nine. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Apparently, there's going to be many others who will be raised up from the dead. Now, as we think about Jesus being the firstborn of the dead, Let's not forget what Christ has already done on our behalf. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 20. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. My mom, your loved one who has passed away are sleeping. They are dead in Christ, they are sleeping, and one day they'll be woken up. They will be raised from the dead because of their faith and trust in Christ. And once we come to faith in Christ, we are also called children, right? In Romans 8, 17, if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ. What has Christ inherited, dear beloved? Everything. If you are a believer in Christ, have repented of your sins, followed obedience and baptism, and you've given your life over to him, you are now a child of God, and as the text says, a joint heir with Christ. Not only that, Christ has taken control of death, and it will be no more. Revelation chapter 20, verses 14 and 15, listen to this. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. He's overcome death and the grave. It says this is the second death, the lake of fire. Now here comes a warning. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That's the Lamb's book of life. That's where your name gets written down when you trust Christ. You come to faith in Christ. It's not a church membership role. It's the Lamb's book of life. Church membership is important. That's a different sermon for a different day. He's talking about The book of life. That's where your name must be written. So that you will not be thrown into the lake of fire, which is the second death. Is your name written down? Do you know for sure your name is written down because you have given your life to Christ? Verse 5, he continues to describe Christ, ruler of the kings of the earth. Because Christ is sovereign over life and death, he rules over the kings. All earthly authorities are subject to him. Now listen here. They continue their reigns only as he sovereignly permits. Who let Joe Biden get in the White House? Well, we voted for him. No, I would tell you God allowed him to get in that office. And he will be held accountable for how he fulfills that office. It's only by the sovereign see of the lord he even has that office to begin with conflicts between christ and earthly kings are extensive in the book for example kings are the enemies of christ chapter 10 verse 17 chapter 17 verse 18 kings are filled with evil chapter 17 verse 2 chapter 18 verse 3 kings will gather for the final war chapter 16 verse 14 Chapter 17, verse 14, and chapter 19, verse 19. And kings will be utterly defeated. Chapter chapter 6, 15 through 17. Chapter 17, verse 14, and then chapter 19, verse 18. Herod, Pilate, and Caesar were earthly rulers. Now, this is important. People were being persecuted when this letter was being written. They wanted them to worship Caesar. He was considered to be a divine god on earth. And they would have to throw a pinch of incest into the fire and declare Caesar is Lord. Many early Christians lost their lives because they refused to say Caesar is Lord. Because they would say Jesus is the only one who's king of kings and lord of lords. Only Jesus Not Caesar or any other kings, not the NFL, no sports, nobody else is worthy of worship, only Jesus. To him, he says in verse 5, who loves us. This faithful witness, this firstborn of the dead, this one who rules over the kings, he's the one who loves you. Never take for granted the redemptive work of Christ How can you and I reflect upon his work and his love without breaking into spontaneous praise? After all, the first aspect worthy of praise is his love. John 3.16, you know that? God so what? Loved the world. In the Greek, the cosmos, creation. That he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever should believe in him shall not perish but have ever Lasting life. Now the Greek word that translated loves here is an all-embracing concept summarizing his love. His past love that led to his sacrificial death. His present love, oh listen to me like we talked in Bible school this morning, that never leaves us or forsakes us. Walks with us through those valleys. And his future love When we will see his defeat over the forces of evil on our behalf. Dearly beloved, there is a day coming when sin will be totally eradicated forever. And what does that look like? I have no idea. Because even the best relationships, I've said this before, are tainted by sin. I love that woman. Back to my left, back to your right. Right there, Tammy. But guess what? I'm a sinner. And I mess up. Even that relationship is tainted by sin. But in heaven... That will all be gone. No more jealousy. No more envy. No more backbite. No more gossip. What does that look like? I have no idea. But I look forward to it. In verse 5, he continues on. He's released us or has set us free from our sins. How would he do that? By his blood. The sins of the enemies of God continue to pile up. And they're ready for judgment. But sins of those who have turned to God have repented are released by the blood. They have been loosed by the blood of Christ. As the old hymn says, what can wash away my sins? (laughs) Are you sure about that? Sing it like you mean it. (laughs) Think about this. I'm getting a little excited here. How great, how abundant. How unlimited is the love of God that he has lavished upon us? Think about it for a moment. Romans 5.8, you're familiar with this. God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When I could care less about God, I shook my fist in his face. His son died in my place to cover my sin, my shame, and my guilt so that I may have a relationship with God the Father. So when I go through those valleys, when I go through those shadows of death, he is right there with me every step of the way. How about 1 John 3:1? See how great a love the Father has bestowed. I like what the NIV does here. Lavished on us that we will be called children of God. Before you came to Christ, you are an enemy of God. You are estranged from God. But when you came to faith in Christ, now you are a friend of God. You're your son or his daughter. You're now part of the family. That's the miracle, the greatest miracle I see, when you see someone come to Christ and things change. Not that everything changes, we still have our struggles. But when, when someone first, go back, close your eyes for a second. Oh, see, just bear with me. Close your eyes and go back in that moment in time when you gave your life to Christ. What did that feel like? A huge weight lifted off your shoulders. A sense of peace you never felt filled your heart and your soul. You didn't know to sit down and cry or stand up and start shouting and screaming and, and jumping up and down. What a great love God the Father has lavished upon us. continues in verse six that He has made us to be a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. Not only has Christ saved you and me, but he's included us into his royal and priestly office. You are a saint, and the Greek literally holy ones, and the Greek is hagios. You're not only rulers with Christ, but you're also priests. There's only one high priest between man and God, that's the man Christ Jesus. But here's what it's getting at. You don't have to come to me as your pastor to talk to God. You go right to Jesus yourself. You have direct access to our high priest 24-7 365 days a year. And we also have the task of serving him. And by our service to him, by loving him and serving, people will see that and we lead other people to him. They will see our works. and They will see that light that you're shining forth. They will say, what is different, Tim? Tell me, what is going on? Tell me, why do you do this? Aren't you glad that you can go to God no matter what time it is, what day it is? You'll never get this. I'm away from the throne right now, but if you leave your name and number, I'll get back to you as soon as possible. Or press one for English, two for Spanish. No, he hears you. It doesn't have to be a big theological prayer. Sometimes I pray, God, help me. Please, God, I need you. Now, this is not talking about rugged individualism, boasting of our right to do anything. We are to follow the example of Christ. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 and following. Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, although existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. And that passage would go on how he took a form of human flesh, became a servant, served us and laid his life down to die a death, even death on the cross. You can see how God, how Jesus humbled himself every step of the way. And we don't have that same attitudes in us that he had. And as he finishes the verse 6 up, John says, To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. glorious praise and honor and dominion connotes power and might. There is a sovereign power that transcends the temporal. The original readers need to know this. And we do too. It's important to be part of the political process, to take participation and voting and all these things. But, dearly beloved, don't lose sight of the fact. God is the one in control. He's the one who reigns supreme. He's the one that's going to carry us to the end. Don't forget that. And amen, sometimes I wonder if people think amen means over and out. No, amen simply carries the Old Testament meaning, so be it. Yes, even so. When you hear someone say amen, they're saying, that's right, so be it. That's what amen means. So when we pray and you say amen, you're agreeing with that prayer of that brother or sister, and you're saying, so be it. It authenticates worship. Look at verse 7. Very interesting here. Behold or look. He is coming with the clouds. Listen to this, and every eye will see him. Now that word I do in Greek translated, behold, is an interjection. It can be understood as pay attention or listen very carefully. This event is going to happen very quickly. It's impending. It's going to be intimate. All the peoples of the earth will see Christ when he returns. Even well, I'll get that. I'm going to jump ahead of myself. And they're going to respond to him. And here's the point. His return is not going to be missed by anyone. Going back to the Old Testament, in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, I kept looking in sight. I kept looking in night visions. And behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days. That's referral to God the Father. And was presented before him. He says, every eye will see him, but then he even qualifies that more. Look what he says next. Even those who pierced him, all the tribes or all the nations or all the people of the earth world, mourn over him. This is including both Jews and Gentiles who put Christ on the cross. These people are long dead and gone, but even those who pierced him, no one will escape or miss his second coming. Zechariah Chapter 12, verse 10, I will pour out on the house of David, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplication, so they will look on me whom they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for for an only son. And they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over the firstborn. This universal response of mourning is understandable because they see him coming. In all his glory, they're going to remember that they rejected him. That's the point. The failure of most people in the world is they don't receive him as Messiah. Not only has the world failed in stewardship of God's grace and creation, the world has overwhelmingly rejected his grace in forgiveness. In that moment, they were warned. Like someone who loses an only son, loses a child, loses a loved one because they remember that they have rejected him. We come to verse 8. Oh, I love this verse. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God. I am stresses God as Yahweh of the Old Testament. In Greek, literally, ego, me." The stress is on the I. I, I am. And that is used throughout the gospel of God. I, I am the bread of life. I, I am the only ever forgotten Son. He says that all the time. A a me. I, I am. And it's recalling the law way of Exodus chapter 13. I mean, excuse me, Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, when Moses is having that burning bush experience. And he goes, Who shall I tell them who sent me? And God says, I am who I am, tell them the great I am has sent you. A direct reference back to Yahweh of the Old Testament. Now the Alpha and the Omega, the Alpha is the beginning of the Greek alphabet, and the Omega is the last letter of the Greek alphabet. But it's not limited to both those letters. It includes all the letters that are in between. Because God is ruler over all history. He's in control of this world and the next. He has full authority over earthly and cosmic forces. What a letter of encouragement. And I know that I needed to hear it today. That he's indeed the Alpha and the Omega. And You and I can decide to surrender our lives fully to Jesus Christ. And when you do that, Don't let your life get stuck in regret over yesterday. Don't let your life get stuck in fear about tomorrow. Don't worry about Wall Street or who the President of the United States is. God the Almighty has everything under control. Our biggest concern must be, how can I give my best right here and right now to God? Because right here and right now is the only thing I have any control over. Don't let something slip into tomorrow, what you can take care of right now. Let your light shine before men. Yesterday is done, all right? Yesterday is over. God has it covered. Today, do your very best for the Lord with every breath that you have. And guess what? Tomorrow, God is already there clearing the path. Indeed, God is the Alpha and the Omega. This gives you and I Peace to know that our yesterdays are covered, our tomorrows are cleared, our todays have his presence to guide our lives. It all focuses on grace and peace to you. From he who is, was, who is, and who is to come, from the seven spirits of God, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead you need some grace, you need some peace, now is the time. Do it now. Don't let the enemy beat you up about yesterday. It's done. God has it covered. Don't worry about what happens tomorrow. God's already there clearing the path. The question must be, what must must I do in this moment right now to give my very best to God? Have you ever given your life to Christ? Now is the time. Don't be one of those ones who see him come and you start to mourn because you realize in that moment I rejected him, there he is. How pitiful and tragic it would be to stand there that day knowing you had every opportunity to do it, but yet you didn't. Number two, you've given your life to Christ, but worry and anxiety, all these headlines have taken your sense of peace and comfort away. Why not kneel? Say, God, I can't handle this. I need your strength. I can't do it on my own strength. And I'm saying, I need you, take a knee and cry out to God. He's promised never leave you, forsake you. You have access to Him. Or number three. Perhaps God's leading to join us here at this church, so we can do life together, walk beside each other. Because you, I missed an excellent Sunday school this morning. I'm gonna end with this. Talking about doing life together. My mom, like Tammy's mom, got sick with cancer. But there was a sweet lady who wrote my mom a letter who had been through cancer before. And many of you sent cards to her. I cannot express to you the difference that that made to my mom and the time I had with her in those last moments. It matters walking through those valleys together, knowing Jesus is right beside us all. This world promises you peace, but it can never deliver. Come to the one who can give you lasting peace, and that is Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your promises, that you keep them, that you are trustworthy and faithful. You have proven yourself faithful time and time and time again. Father, I pray for those in the sound of my voice who are now struggling to what to do, how to respond. Father, I pray that you give them the courage, the boldness, and the peace to cry out to you. Father, each of us needs you every day, every hour, every minute, and every second of our lives. We cry out to you. We cry out for mercy. We cry out for love. We cry out because we want to be in your presence. Draw men and women, boys and girls, unto yourself, O God, in this moment. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me, please?